Our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 13. I'll be reading the first nine verses. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his garden. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. That is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a unique passage, I think. And I read it and part of me wants to just kind of scratch my head and go, now, wait, what? What was this all about? It begins with this interaction with Jesus there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Scripture makes no reference to that event. In fact, even in the historical writings of the time, there is little to no reference to any historical account that specifically mentions that event. Even in, in the works of Josephus, the Jewish historian, there are references to Pilate being cruel and treating the Jews in a gruesome manner, but no specific mention of this event that Jesus is being asked about, that one or the second one about where he mentions the Tower of Siloam. No mention. As they used these events to engage Jesus they did not get the response they expected. See, it was, it was common belief in that day that often God's divine retribution was visited on people who were less than righteous. In other words, circumstances were often God's way of saying, hey, you got what you deserved, you sinners. And then, of course, the flip side of that belief was if you're good and righteous, God will bless you and protect you. So they expected Jesus to say something like, well, those people deserved what they got. But not you, of course, because you're the good people. But listen to Jesus's response that must have surprised his listeners. Do you think? These Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? 
I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, in his response, Jesus doesn't buy into either part of their their common thinking. Jesus only kind of implies that we must not equate tragedy with divine punishment. Sin does not necessarily bring tragic consequences. In fact, Jesus kind of goes the other way. He doesn't say wicked people will suffer, nor did he say if you're good people, you won't have to deal with any of that suffering. It was not any of that. His response was this, unless you repent, you too will all perish. That is not what they expected to hear. I mean, Jesus told them they needed to repent or they would perish too. He says that twice. What was he thinking? These were the good people. They were feeling so justified with their lives at this point because God had protected them and they didn't have to worry about tragedies and even perishing, unlike the people they mentioned in their examples. They were the people who must have lived an okay kind of life because they hadn't suffered. But Jesus told them they needed to repent. These were the good people, presumably those who followed the law and went to church on Sunday mornings or synagogue on their Sabbath, whatever the case may have been. It was the good people, the church-going folks. They were the ones who were righteous, at least reasonably righteous. And he tells them they're the ones who need to repent. Now, in many places in the Bible, the word repent means turn around, go the other way. I'm sure you've heard that definition multiple times. But in these verses, repent means something a little more like have a changed mind or change to a new way of seeing things or adopt a different perspective. And I'm thinking, oh man, if it means turn and go the other way, a lot of us can say, oh, did that. Did that a long time ago. But this calls all of us beyond that initial choice to another level of repentance. The verb repent here in this present subjunctive tense implies continual action. Not a one and done, not a one-time shot at repenting, but to be repentant, to continue to repent, to keep on repenting, to adopt a lifestyle of repentance. So all of those good people who had, good people who had repented once upon a time are going, oh man, there's more. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus told those righteous church people a story. A man had a fig tree growing and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. So now as we hear Jesus talking 
we realize, oh man, he's not just talking about repentance. Now he's talking about judgment. We don't like to think about that kind of stuff. Now he's talking about judgment, specifically judgment to come wherever there is no fruit. So first, what about the fig tree in this parable? I mean, we don't know if it's a newly growing tree that has yet to produce fruit, which normally took about five years, or if this is an older tree that used to produce fruit and no longer does. But the point was, it hadn't produced fruit in the last three years, and if it's not going to produce fruit, let's just get rid of it. Jesus told them they need to repent or they would perish. And then tells them this story about a fruitless, unproductive tree that should be cut down. It's not that much of a difficult thing to connect these two things and realize that the fruitless tree is very possibly representative of unrepentant fruitless people. That probably means we better be listening to these words Jesus spoke to that crowd because we could find ourselves in the same crowd. Remember, he was talking to people who already assumed they were the righteous ones. They were doing the right things. They were living the good life. They were being faithful as they knew how to be faithful. They were showing up at church at 945 on Sunday mornings. So the question is, how real do we want to be about the church and its people today? How real do we want to be about our need to continue to repent, to keep on repenting? Our potential for being labeled as fruitless is there. Do we want to be real about that? And therefore potentially face judgment and destruction if the fruitlessness does not change? How confident are we that we're producing fruit for the kingdom rather than living a fruitless life? This is not a passage about our initial confession of sins and our choice to follow Jesus that maybe we made months or years or decades ago. Oh, I confess my sins and I ask God to forgive me and I ask Jesus into my life and awesome. I'm thankful. I'm so glad for that. But apparently there's more. This is about an ongoing relationship with God in which we remain in a repentant attitude. Acknowledging our need for God's ongoing work in our lives to keep us producing fruit. So how are we doing as a church in 2021? Is there legitimate fruit being produced for the kingdom? As in, are we faithful disciples who are reproducing more disciples as fruit? Understand, fruit is not just going to church and being a reasonably good person. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I hope you continue to do that. 
But fruit is producing clear evidence of the work of God in our lives to the point that it draws others toward the same work of God so that they can experience it in their lives. In other words, fruit is being disciples who make more disciples. So are we individually, collectively, actually producing fruit? We need to answer that question honestly and respond in ways that will ensure that we are truly being faithful. If we're one of those trees in the vineyard, how does Jesus see us, our lives, our church? Now, just so this doesn't sound like a complete downer the whole morning that calls into question our repentance and our fruitfulness and leaves us there, there is some good news. The gardener replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, then great. If not, then we'll cut it down. This is the opportunity for grace. The opportunity for grace. Don't destroy it yet. Leave it alone. Let me do some extra work on it. Let's care for it a little more intentionally. Let's create another opportunity. In this particular verse, in the original language, the word translated as leave it alone, where he says leave it alone for one more year, uses the same root word often translated as forgive. Forgive. It's the same word we find in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer where we read, forgive us our debts. As in our lives, forgiveness is given as a second chance for us to produce fruit. That's what the the gardener was calling for. Give this tree a second chance to become fruitful. In our lives, we're giving, given grace filled second chances to produce fruit for the kingdom. And of course, in this time of year, particularly during Lent, we focus on the fact that our forgiveness, our second chances, that gift of grace comes because of the cross of Christ. Our hope of new life, of renewal, of repentance and forgiveness and restoration, our hope of fruitfulness comes because of God's work through that cross. So in this story, forgiveness is offered as an alternative to a lack of fruitfulness and being cut down. It comes with the offer of the master working more to make us fruitful, offering special care that helps us continue in repentance and on to fruitfulness. In Romans 2, Paul writes, Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's not like God really wants to cut down all the fruitless trees. I'm convinced God wants to do in our lives all that can be done to move us to repentance and thereby help us grow to be fruitful and remain standing in the vineyard of the Lord. 
despite the warning of pending judgment for the unfruitful, there is still the offer of grace. And our response to that grace should always be a growing desire for fruitfulness. By the grace of God, we can produce fruit for our Lord. The question is, are we ready? Are we willing to produce fruit? Or are we simply going to sit around and be good church people, but unproductive and fruitless? My hope is that we see more fruit. I want to see more fruit in my life. I want to see more fruit in your lives. I want to see more fruit in our church. And I know that as we work together in surrender, in repentance, in openness to second chances and grace, that the Lord comes and nurtures us and grows us and puts us in the place where we can produce fruit. Specifically, more disciples who come to know Jesus. So my prayer is that together we can surrender to the unique and loving care of God as He continues to work on us to help us produce fruit for the kingdom, all for the honor and glory of the King. It's always time to live a repentant lifestyle, to come to Jesus just as we are, confessing our tendency toward selfishness and sin and asking for that forgiveness as an ongoing part of the work of God in our lives as He grows us to being fruitful.